0: Well, good morning once again. Friends, have you ever wished that there was no death? That somehow we could go on living forever? You know, most days life is so hard that we can't imagine going on living forever. But sometimes we wish, don't we, that death didn't exist You know when I'm with my daughter I wish that I could be with her throughout her life to see her have kids and to see them grow up and to see them have kids to see them grow up. You get the picture. But that seems like an inconvenience that is going to stop me from getting what I want to be with my daughter even throughout her life. And perhaps you have felt that way. Perhaps you have felt that way most when someone you love was dying. You know, in June last year, my father passed away and uh, it was very difficult. And towards the end of his life, he suffered so much pain that, um, you know, we were wishing that death would come soon, Um, but even though it seemed like a relief to him, we The people that love my dad, my mom and I and my family, we hate death and we miss my dad terribly. We wish there was something we could do to reverse what happened, to change the situation, to bring him back just the way he was so we could have more time with him. Life is hard, isn't it? And death is awful. But as Christians, how are we to think of death? Well, the psalm that we are going to look at this morning is a meditation on this very idea of death, on the idea of finiteness of man and death. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90, I believe this is also in your bulletin if you want to follow along. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord you have been our refuge in every generation before the mountains were born before you gave birth to the earth and the world from eternity to eternity you are God you return mankind to dust saying return descendants of Adam for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours of the night you end their lives they sleep They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows, by evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath, we end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years or, if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love, so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Well, I wonder if you noticed who the author of the psalm is. It's interesting, isn't it, that we are told that this is the psalm of Moses. And so what that means is this is probably the oldest psalm we have in the entire book of Psalms. Now, even though the psalm was written a long time ago, the truths that we see in the psalm are very relevant even for our situation today. You know, during and after Covid, People around the world are surrounded by a fear of death and sickness. During COVID, people all around the world were forced to face the reality of the fact that they may die and the prospect that they may die even before they are ready. So, how are we to think about this today? You know, like we will see in the sun, the best thing to do when we are surrounded by a fear of death And the mortality of mankind is to turn our hearts and minds to meditate on who God is. That is what Moses wants us to do in this psalm. So if you are taking down notes for the sermon let me tell you what are the three important things that we want to see about who God is from this psalm and these are the points of the sermon. The first thing that we will see from the psalm is God's eternality. We will see that from verses 1 to 6. The second thing we will see is God's wrath, which is from verse 7 to 11. And finally, we will see God's steadfast love, verses 12 to 17. God's eternality, God's wrath, and God's steadfast love. And uh, brothers and sisters, I pray that as we meditate on the psalm this morning, that we will think clearly about who God is and be prepared to live in this life. That God has given us well in verse 1 the psalmist begins by reminding the people of God that God has been their refuge in all generations that's how Moses begins this psalm now you know this idea of God as our refuge is repeated it's a repeated theme throughout the book of psalms and it is a significant experience for the people of God you know the people of God as you read through the book of psalms They love to meditate on this truth that God is their refuge. And what that means is, for the people of God, God is their refuge from their enemies. God is a place of peace and safety, a place where those who trust in God can flee to. You know, the story of the Bible, from the first book of the Bible to the last, from Genesis to Revelation, is a story of how god is making a way to dwell with his people forever you know that is one way to think about what the entire book of the bible uh, the, the story story of the bible is and the problem is that man has rebelled against god we have sinned against a holy god and we deserve his judgment and therefore we cannot approach god because we deserve his judgment for all of eternity but those who trust in God, even from the Old Testament, have always looked to God as their refuge. And even though they don't have the full expression or the full experience of what that means for God to be their refuge, what we are reading about in the psalm points to a greater reality, one where the people of God will be shielded from the greatest problem that they have in their life, which is judgment against their sin. And that is fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. And so through Christ, God's people have been promised a great future where they will dwell with God forever in peace and safety and happiness. Now the psalmist wants us to know not only that God is 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 our refuge, but he also wants us to know that God is our refuge in all generations, even today how do we know that how can we be sure that God is our refuge even today well as he explains in verse 2 we must understand something about God's character to be able to see why God is our refuge even today and the psalmist says it is because God is an eternal God in other words God has always existed he will always exist You know, there was never a day when he was not. God has no beginning. You know, God does not celebrate birthdays unlike us. God is not like us. You know, we are made from dust. And to dust we will return. As he says in verse 3, there is a time God has appointed for each one of us when we will die. And he will say, return descendants of Adam when our time is up. You see because God is an eternal God the concept of time is very different for God compared to us he views time as he says in verse 4 a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by you know it's like one day for God a thousand years years—it's just like one day or as he says in verse 4 it's like a few hours of the night even less than a day you know when we think about our life in this world, we think that we live a long time, don't we? And the reason is because our life is the longest experience that we have in this, in this world. But when you look at even our lives from God's perspective, it's like a few moments. It's so short and it passes by. We are meant to see how big our God is that our God is an eternal God. Wayne Grudem tells us that the difference between God's being and ours is more than the difference between the sun and the candle, more than the difference between the ocean and a raindrop, more than the difference between the Arctic ice and a snowflake, more than the difference between the universe and the room we are sitting in. God's being is qualitatively different. No limitation of the creation should be projected to God. He is the creator. All else is creaturely. So, how should we respond as we meditate on this important attribute of God, that God is an eternal God? Well, as we think about that, it should humble us, shouldn't it? You know, we are finite creatures. But too often, we forget that truth about ourselves, don't we? Too often, we make the mistake of equating ourselves with God. We think like we are like God. Sometimes we think we are wiser than Him. But it's only when we compare ourselves with who God is, as He's revealed Himself in the pages of Scripture, that we come to see the truth about who we are. You know, when you talk about this to people who do not believe in God, It can offend people. The idea that they are so small compared to God. And so many choose to reject God entirely because that is better than thinking about how small they are. But even the people in the world, as offended as they are by their limitations, by their finiteness compared to God, even they cannot help but marvel at so many things in creation that seems so majestic, so old, like the mountains Moses mentions in verse two. You know, I don't know if you have this experience when you stand before a mountain that seems so old, you can't help but realize just how small you are. But even those mountains, even they have a beginning, don't they? How much more should we marvel at how big our God is? who has no beginning, who has no end, who does not change ever. In comparison to God, Moses tells us in verse 5, you know what we are like? He says we are like grass that grows but quickly fades in with us. You know what that means? We are so much more mortal than we think we are. You know, so many people in the world, in their quest to be more than they are, they want to leave a mark behind. They know that they are not going to last for a long time. But they all want to leave behind a legacy. And that is because we secretly know, don't we, that once we die, there might be a few people that mourn us or miss us when we die. But a few years from our death, you know, hardly anyone will remember us most of us will be forgotten and that is the reality about our uh, about who we are we are like dreams that seem so fresh when we are asleep but vanish when we wake up so let me ask you brothers and sisters have you considered in the midst of all your busyness have you taken time to stop and think about how great god is and how small we are You know, the world is constantly bombarding us with all kinds of things and messages that is meant to distract us from thinking about this truth that we are finite, we are small. But I want to encourage you this morning to think about your weakness. Think about how small you are and think about how immense and great our God is. You know, and it is possible that some of us who are reading the psalm this morning as we listen to this we can feel very discouraged. You know, it's possible that we can evaluate our life in light of this psalm and think that it is all futile. All the work that we have been doing feels just so worthless and pointless. But that is not the reason why God has called us to meditate on the psalm. God wants us to know the truth about our fleeting experience, not to make us feel miserable about ourselves, but to flee to Him who loves us and wants us to find our refuge in Him. God wants us to meditate on this truth about our finiteness so that we may turn to Him who is bigger and greater than we are. So in light of that, you know, let's consider the second point. We are not just told in the psalm that our lives will come to an end, but we are also given the reason for why that is. So let's consider, secondly, God's wrath. And that is from verses 7 to 11. God's wrath. So, so far in this psalm, if you've been tracking with Moses, we are told about the reality of our mortality. But it is when we get to verse 7 that we are given the reason for why we die. Do you notice what the reason is? Moses tells us it is because of God's anger against us. It is because of God's wrath against us. So friends, I hope you know that there is something seriously wrong when we experience death in this life. You know, it can seem so natural. It can seem so common, so normal. You know, we hear of people, you know, one after the other dying and it can just seem like it is just part of our design. But that's not true. Death is not part of our design. You know, when God created us, He called us very good in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. But man fell into sin in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, our first parents, they did not trust God. They chose to rebel against God's good plan for their lives. And their sin not only affected their lives, but also corrupted the whole human race. So much so that everybody that is born of Adam experiences the effects of sin in their life everyone that is born of adam comes into this world with a sinful nature paul says in romans chapter 5 verse 12 that sin came into the world through one man and death came to all so the reason for why we die is because we are all born of adam but it's not just adam's sin isn't it is it we have all sinned against god if we have to be honest before God about the truth of ourselves, we, we will say that we have all sinned against God. And Moses wants us to know that. In verse 8, he says, You have set our iniquities before you. All of us. It's our iniquities, our sin. So you see, death is the sentence by God on us for our guilt of sin. It's because we are guilty of sin that we deserve God's wrath. So every time we see death, every time we hear of death happening in another part of the world, you know, whether it be in Indonesia right now, or in the Horn of Africa, or whether we see a friend or a relative die, we are meant to see what our sin is deserving of. We deserve death. Not just bodily death, but spiritual death. You see, the problem with the way the world thinks about sin is not that they deny the existence of sin. No, even those who do not believe in Jesus will admit that there is sin. The problem is they deny the seriousness of it. Sin is often seen as just a mistake, as a slip-up. It's not that serious. And many will laugh at you if you suggest to them that death as death is a consequence of our sin against God. But we must view our sin as Scripture has called us to, shouldn't we? We must view our sin in light of the holiness of God. It is because God is holy, and it's because of all our sin are against Him that we deserve His judgment. And we should pause and think about what Moses tells us next in verse 8. He tells us that God sees all our sins even our secret sins you know that means that God looks at our hearts he sees every evil thought every false word that you know we have uttered everything that we meant to say that didn't even come out of our mouth nothing escapes the gaze of God God sees all of our sins he sees it better than we can in our own hearts So friends, what that means is the thoughts that you think, the things that you do in the privacy of your homes or in the privacy of your phones, nothing is really hidden from God. Imagine if it was possible somehow today, if all of our sins could be, you know, displayed on the screen, you know, for others to see. Even just the sins that we have committed, our secret sins from this week, how mortified and ashamed that would make us feel how much more seriously then should we take our sin knowing that God sees all of our sin and God holds our eternity in his hands you know it's not just that we deserve God's wrath but Moses tells us in verse 9 and 10 that even the few days that we have on earth is filled with expressions of God's wrath against sin. So, it's not just that, you know, we are only going to live for 70 or 80 years. It's not just that our life is short. But even our short life is full of toil and trouble and filled with suffering and affliction because we live in a fallen world. Even the good days that we experience are good only, relatively speaking. It's only compared to the bad days. That we have our good days every day then has pangs of God's displeasure against sin and we feel it don't we as one author puts it we come into this world with a cry and we leave this world with a sigh yet who among us can accuse God who can stand before him and say that he has done wrong his wrath is right We deserve the suffering that we experience in this world. In fact, we deserve worse than the suffering that comes to us in this world. But yet, despite everything that we see, the fallenness of the world, the suffering in this world, how many can say, honestly, that they have taken God's wrath into serious consideration? You know, how often is it that we actually stop to think about what our sin has done You know, how often do we look at the suffering that is happening in parts of the world and think about the seriousness of our own sin, the sin that resides within each and every one of us? Moses is saying in the psalm that the reason why people can overlook this clear fact about the seriousness of sin is because they do not fear God rightly. In verse 11, he says, Who understands the power of your anger your wrath matches the fear that is due to you you know it is not bad to feel the dread of god's anger as we live in this world in fact it's a good thing to fear god fearing god means that we can be sensitive to our sin it can humble us it can cause us to submit to god's authority it can prepare us to stand before christ on the judgment day Even those of us who say that we trust God must check ourselves to see if we have an appropriate fear of God in our lives. Do we live with an appropriate fear of God every single day of our lives? So Christian, I want to ask you, are you hating sin as much as the God you love hates sin? Are you working hard to grow in your hatred of sin? Or have you forgotten How much God hates sin? Have you forgotten the cost that it takes to pay for our sins? You know, it must be something that we are striving for daily to hate our sin the way that God hates sin. So as we consider the remaining verses of the psalm, let's think about how we can grow in it. How can we grow in our hatred of sin? Let's consider the third point, God's steadfast love. And that is from verses 12 to 17, God's steadfast love. You know, everything else that comes in this psalm is a prayer that Moses prays in light of his meditation on death and on God's wrath. Notice the first thing he prays for in light of his reflection. He says, he prays to teach us to number our days so that we may develop wisdom. We may develop wisdom. Now, every time we come across that word in the Bible, we should stop and ask ourselves, what does that mean? What does wisdom mean in context? You know what it is in this psalm? What exactly is wisdom in this psalm? Well, wisdom here means to number our days. It's interesting, isn't it? That we need to be taught that, that we need to be taught to number our days You know, our life in this world, we know this, has a number of days before it reaches the expiry date, you know, before the day that God has appointed when each one of us must die. But none of us really know when that last day is, do we? It may be today, it may be tomorrow, or it may be many days from now. None of us really know. You know, when we are young, we live our lives as if we will never die. We, we, have, we think that we are going to live forever. We are slow to learn the important lesson that life is like a vapor. We are all taught about the value of seizing the day or focusing on the troubles of today. Those are important lessons. But what is the value of learning to number our days? Because Moses says that is wisdom in the Psalm. You know, it is because in our blindness, we think that... We are infinite we forget that we are coming to an end we think we are like God not bound by time so how exactly do we learn this important lesson how do we get this wisdom that we are finite that our lives are going to come to an end soon well God has to teach us that that's why Moses prays to God to teach him to number his days so friends Let me encourage us to then pray and ask God that he would give us wisdom to learn to number our days and to live in light of the fact that our lives are coming to an end soon, that we too will get a heart of wisdom. Let's pray for that. Let's ask God to give us that wisdom. And then let me encourage us to not just pray that, but to pray that in light of scripture. There are many psalms that help us reflect on the mortality of man, the shortness of life, the vanity of life. You know, let's reflect on those things. Don't reject those reflections. They may make our hearts sad, but our hearts will be made wiser. The next thing Moses prays for in verse 13, he cries out and he says, Lord, how long? interesting. Even when we realize that our days are short and our time in this world is limited, it can still feel very long. Moses prays, how long, O oh Lord. Why is that? Why is it that even our short life in this world can feel very long? That's simply because a life that is filled with suffering even for a short time can feel very, very long. You know, have you ever heard the saying, time flies when you're having fun? Have you ever considered the opposite is true too? You know, one of the things I started doing during the COVID-19 lockdown, you know, when we couldn't leave our homes, is I started doing a 30-minute workout in my, in, my, in my house. And um, if you knew me very well, you would know that I'm not in uh, good shape. And usually, for anything else, 30 minutes, you know, just seems to fly by. But for some reason, you know, those 30 minutes of workouts, it just seemed like to never end. It just seemed like, you know, endless suffering, even though it was just 30 minutes long. And for some reason, the last 10 minutes seemed even longer. Well, have you ever had this experience of feeling like time seems to slow down when you're going through something especially hard in your life? You know, maybe you are here, And you are going through something really hard this morning. And you are crying out like Moses is in this psalm. How long, O Lord? You know, I just want to point out that it is not unspiritual to pray this prayer. It can feel like it. It feels like, you know, you are questioning God's sovereignty, His plan for our lives. But it's not unbiblical to pray this prayer. We see it in this psalm. It's not unspiritual to feel the pain of our afflictions, or even to cry out to God, even though it can seem like we're complaining. And I just want to encourage you, if you're going through something hard right now, don't go through it alone. Share it with other brothers and sisters in your local church, so that they can come alongside you and help you. You may feel like there is nothing much that your brothers and sisters can do for you to change your situation, to solve your problems, But there is a lot that God can do through them in your life. You know, your brothers and sisters can pray for you. They can come alongside you and speak truth to you from God's word. Remind you of the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus. They can sing songs about God's compassion. They can sing songs about God's steadfast love when you are crying out to God. So whatever it is that you are going through, no matter how small it may seem to you, share it with others. So that your brothers and sisters in your church can love you. You know, this prayer, How Long, O Lord, is a common prayer in the book of Psalms. It's a common lament. And there is so much that we can learn from this prayer. This prayer, you see, is a recognition of the fact that our God is sovereign, not only over the good things that happen in our lives, but even over the bad things. And It is a recognition of the fact that our God has compassion on his people. So I just want to say, because of that, if you're in Christ and you are going through some particular suffering in your life right now, you should know that it is not going to last forever. This life is full of affliction. It is full of misery and pain. And the tears that we shed in this life cannot be measured. But, praise God, there is an expiry date to all of our troubles isn't there so this is not a hopeless prayer how long oh lord it's full of hope and that is because we believe that god is coming it is because of the hope of christ's return that we can keep going even in the midst of intense suffering that we face in this life and i just want to point out friends you know for those who are not in christ if they don't turn to him while they have time you know they cannot pray this prayer how long will oh Lord because as long as the misery and suffering in this life may feel it is only a preview of what's coming next once they die so for those who are not in Christ this life is only going to lead into unending suffering under the just wrath of God and that is good and right for those who have not bow themselves to Jesus. You know, in eternity, those who are facing God's judgment, they can never pray how long, O Lord, because there will be no end to the suffering that they will face in eternity. So friend, if that is you, maybe you're here this morning, and uh, you haven't turned to Jesus yet, and you're maybe just considering what it means to follow Christ, I want to point out this good news that we see in Scripture. And it is that Christ has not come back yet. And that means we are told in Scripture, it is an opportunity for you to repent and turn to Christ while there is time. In 2 Peter 3.9, the Apostle Peter tells us this. God is not slow, but is patient towards those who have not repented yet. But we are also told by Peter in the same passage that the day of the Lord will come like a thief when we least expect it so I want to encourage you if you're here you haven't turned to Jesus yet this is the time to repent of your sin and trust in Christ turn to him today turn to him because he has promised in his word to save you turn to him because he has shown through his resurrection from the dead that he is able to save you and if you want to think more about that let me encourage you to speak to one of the elders in in the church to consider what it means for you to trust in Jesus and be saved and for those who have trusted in Christ brothers and sisters again it's not long that you have to endure all your trouble is coming to an end your hardships is all no matter what it is it's coming to an end the injustice that you are facing in your life maybe living in the UAE it's coming to an end The pain that you nor your doctors can seem to solve, it's coming to an end. All your tears are going to be wiped away forever. And that is because God's compassion is not slow. So, friend, brothers and sisters in Christ, hope in God. Moses reminds us in verse 14, he tells us, Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love, so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, as many years as we have seen adversity. For as many days as we have suffered even more, think of eternity. We will rejoice. And that is because of God's faithful love on those who have turned to Christ. You know the most comforting truth that people, Christians who are going through suffering, need to know is God's steadfast love. His faithful love to those who trust Him, who have come to Him for refuge. God's faithful love means that He is not aloof, He's not distant from us. His faithful love means that He extravagantly gives Himself to meet the needs of lost sinners who come to Him for refuge. And you know where it is that we see the clearest expression of God's faithful love? Where it is seen in the person and work of Jesus. That is the clearest expression of God's steadfast love for us. Think of who Jesus is and what he has done. He took on human flesh so that he could be like us in every way except without sin. And we are told by Isaiah the prophet, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he was smitten by God for us. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. When he died on the cross, Jesus was taking on himself the full wrath of God's judgment that we deserve for our sins. He drank that cup in full so that there is nothing remaining for us to endure in God's judgment if we turn to Christ. So, brothers and sisters, if we are free, we should know it is because Christ has paid for it in his death on the cross. If we have hope of life, It is because the one who did not deserve to die died in our place and rose from the dead. So brothers and sisters, there is no greater display of God's love that we can see than what we see on the cross of Christ. Since it's true that Jesus died for us, it's also true that we will rejoice. And as we think about, you know, eternity, You know and the rejoicing that it brings us you know it can fill our lives with great joy even in this world but it is also true that as we reflect on our mortality it can be hard at times to rejoice it can be hard to think about the purpose of why we live in this world and the purpose of all our works so moses ends his meditation in verses 16 and 17 with a desperate prayer he says let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. You know, apart from the Lord, all of our work is in vain. But as Paul says to the church in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Because God rules, he establishes the work of his church. Our time is short, our days are numbered, Christ is coming soon. But the church of Christ has a special privilege during the time that they have before Jesus returns. Our labor that is done in the Lord will last. Everything else in this world is going to pass away. But the things that we do that are commanded in scriptures, those things will last. And so what that means is along with this promise that God is going to establish the work of his church comes an important responsibility for the church of Christ. What does it mean about how we live our lives in this world? It means we are to number our days and we must consider carefully what we are devoting ourselves to. You know, time is short, so we should carefully think about what we are giving our time to. And we should work for the things that is going to last forever. So, maybe for some of you, it means that now is the time to start a conversation with your neighbor or co-worker or the non-Christian friend that God has put in your life. Now is the time to start a conversation about the gospel with them, so that they too may come to hear the good news of Jesus and me. Turn to Christ while there is time for some of you now is the time to start reading the Bible with another brother or sister in church so that together you may grow in your walk with Christ and and build up the body of church there are many things that scripture has called us to do as Christians while we wait for the return of Jesus and all of those things are the things that we are to devote ourselves to as we wait for the return of Christ life is short and eternity is long for us not to do the things that god has called us to that brings christ great glory now i want to say also that some people will do things that are radical for the kingdom of god but most of us are going to do things that can seem very ordinary but our work does not need to be grand. It does not need to be impressive in the world's eyes for God to establish it. The smallest act that we do to love another brother and sister, to serve others, it may go unnoticed by others, but it will certainly not go unnoticed by God. So whether you're just cooking meals for others, whether it means that you are praying for the members of your church regularly and nobody knows about it, whether it means that you are volunteering to give rides to people so they can come to church and not miss church, whether it means that you are teaching kids about Christ and you don't get much recognition for your ministry, or whether it means that you're just showing up early to church so that you can welcome others into the church and get to know others in the church. Whatever it is, the Lord takes all of those small acts that are done for Christ and He establishes it. You may think that nothing much is happening and nothing much will happen through these small works that you are doing in obedience to Christ. But the Lord can use your church to leave an imprint that will last forever. So friends, don't underestimate what God can do through your church, even in the limited time that we have in this world. Well, let me end with this quote from C.T. Studd. For those of you who don't know, C.T. Studd was that great English cricket player. Some people say he was the greatest cricket player ever. Um, He left his promising career in cricket and great wealth to go to China to take the gospel to the lost there. So let me leave you with these words that he wrote. He says, only one life, yes only one, soon with its fleeting hours be done then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life to will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the good news that we hear in the scriptures, that even though our life is short and we deserve your judgment for all of eternity, And even though we know that our life in this world is filled with suffering and affliction, we know that there is a great hope and that is not because of our righteousness, but because of Christ and the work that he has done for us. And so we pray, Lord, that we will continue to meditate on the gospel and live in light of the great hope that Christ has won for us on the cross. We pray all this, Lord, in Christ's name.